It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is Time Enough Podcast. Welcome to Time Enough Podcast, where we talk about the Twilight Zone and beyond. This is Matt here with me today. It's been many a year. We are classmates. Hello, Amisha Harding. How are you? Hello. I am doing wonderfully, and it's so great to be here with you. After how many years? It has to be. You don't. You, I, I, you know why I'm not saying the number? <laughs> 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 Nobody wants to hear that. I um. We had a few new employees at, at work last week, and it was going around the table and introducing, and everyone was like, I'm blah, blah years old. I've been in Japan for blah, blah years. And, and I was like, I'm too old to tell you my age, and I've been in Japan too long to share that number as well. And that's your business. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Also, yeah, because uh, I've I, I finally become the old fart in the office, right? Everyone's like in their late 20s now. <laughs> That's me. That's me. When you realize you're like the old lady in the group, like it happens. But I'd rather yeah. be the old lady than the dead lady. So, yes. hey. Very good point. And, uh, um, so, Alicia, one of the reasons I brought you in for this one is um, you, you were making quite a splash a few years ago after the uh, in the uh, George Floyd uh, protest. And uh, you're like doing putting really cool posts on Facebook and out in the streets and like you know, doing the good, the good stuff. Can you tell us a bit about what that was like? Oh, goodness. It was a lot. Um, I literally felt called to that work. Um, I was at home and I was watching the news and I saw um, mayhem going on in my city in Atlanta. And I was devastated. I started bawling. And the next day I was down there Um it was very dark. It was very heavy. Um, there was a lot of energy there that was just dark and it just felt like oppressive. And um, I said, what can I do? I was like, universe, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? What do I have that can make a difference? And I grabbed my speaker because I teach Zumba. I grabbed my big speaker. I put together a really positive, great playlist. And I created these things called healing walls where people could express themselves. So rather than scream at the police, rather than scream at each other, rather than keep the rage inside, I gave them an opportunity every day to come together with these huge four by eight um, sheets of almost like heavy plastic. It's actually something that lines the inside of houses. Of uh, What I later learned, I found them at Home Depot and people were able to express themselves with, with themed um, healing walls each day. And what we saw was people come together across race, across religion, across gender, across sexual orientation. And we saw people come together because people needed and wanted joy. They needed and wanted unity. They needed and wanted justice. Um, and, and we found a way to come together and have that um, in a very positive and powerful way, really just shifting energy and being positive and, and focusing on joy rather than all of the negativity that was happening around us. Yeah, and I guess, I guess that's why it 
you know, appealed to me because I am seeing, you know, most of the, the mainstream news and everything just like, oh, your hometown's burning down. And it's like, oh, well, here, here's someone's like giving a, a positive message and making a party out of it, you know, and uh, that was very cool to see those, those uh, Facebook posts and things. And I think you actually did get some news exposure for that, didn't you? Um, I, apparently I went international and I didn't know people had to tell me I was on magazine covers in Jamaica and in Antigua. I was getting um, LinkedIn messages from people in China and Russia. I mean, I couldn't believe it. I had no idea that that it had gone that viral. Um, and I'm actually writing a book about it because um, the, I'm a, in a fellowship right now. And the gentleman who leads it, he was like, you've got to tell these stories. Like, you've got to tell these stories because people need them. Um, so I've been working on that in addition to some other things as well. Okay. And you say that's uh, launching before too long. Yes, I'm trying to get everything done by the, before the end of the year. I'm also launching what I'm calling a movement um, that is focused on really just my purpose in life, which I know is holding space for joy, peace, unity, and love in the world. So the movement that I'm launching is, is focused on that. And I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I know that race relations are a part of that, but I know that it's a, a next level up because you can't deal with the race relations and the, the tensions between races if you don't deal with people's hearts. And that's what I'm focused on is dealing with people at the heart level and dealing with people um, at the most basic levels of humanity and our shared experiences. Right on. Um, moving into today's episode of the Twilight Zone, we got we got the big tall wish and one of one of the better season one episodes, but it's like, man, I'm a, I'm a middle-aged you know, white dude, uh, several of my guests are middle-aged white dudes. I cannot do this episode like this. You know, I, I'm very mindful, like, you know, like so I try and get in like a wide variety of people on this podcast. Cause that, that's, I think the whole charm of a anthology show, you know, every week it's something different and every week it should be like, you know, kind of different vibes and things. So, um, you know, I, 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 I've already stumbled, uh, good episodes, but we did, um, the hitchhiker, and I think his mirror image or a couple episodes that I, I don't know if they've aired yet, but Hitchhiker has. But I'm like talking to, you know, one of, one of my similar age friends. I'm like, there's like so much of a feminist angle in here. I like kind of screwed up, I think. <laughs> I like mm. the episodes. I'm like, you got, you know, like, you know, two white guys sitting on the side of a mountain talking about the Hitchhiker, which is like this woman being basically like pursued by death. Right. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah. you know, we had a good time. I think it's a good episode, all that. But I'm like that I, I that shouldn't have been the guest so <laughs> uh but uh, the fact that you even recognize that that speaks volumes like holding giving space to, for people to because i think so often we want to tell people stories instead of share their stories and allow them to share their stories and amplify voices so the fact that you even recognize that is is awesome to me because a lot of people don't even recognize that maybe they shouldn't be the voice for a certain topic or a certain thing. So I, I think it's, it's awesome. And I'm glad that you have that level of introspection. I appreciate it. Okay. Glad to hear that. Cause I'm, yeah, I'm like, well, I'm, I'm always going to be me and I'm always half or a third. I've had a one or two episodes with three people, but you know, I'm always going to be here. So I need to like try and like make sure that it's not just some weird echo chamber or something. I love um, it. For today's episode, I'm going to rattle off a bit of trivia, if you will indulge me for a moment. Um, Rod Serling wrote this one, which almost has to be since he had written the uh, Majestic Requiem for a Heavyweight a few years earlier. That was not a Twilight Zone episode, but a major 
live TV experience that uh, in 1962 was a movie, and it's it's a good one. So you know, Rod Serling's got to be the boxing man here. Uh, mm-hmm. Bully Jackson was played by Ivan Dixon. It doesn't seem that he actually boxed, but he did act hard enough that the theater troupe at his alma mater, North Carolina Central University, is now named the Ivan Dixon Players. He was one of the series. Yeah, he was one of the series regulars on the sitcom Hogan's Heroes, and he later moved into direction with episodes of Magnum P.I., The A-Team and The Waltons. He also directed the feature film Trouble Man, which is the only film with a dedicated Marvin Gaye soundtrack. Uh, Ivan will be back for one more Twilight Zone episode. Uh, Harry Temple was that boy wonder Stephen Perry. I couldn't find much dirt on him, but I'm, I'm sure he will infect your dreams trying to make that big, tall wish. I've just since I've been watching this episode, anything bad's happening. I assume he's just going to walk behind me saying that he'll <laughs> make everything better. Right. <laughs> Let us hope. <laughs> that hopeful lad's mom is played by Kim Hamilton. She played opposite Harry Belafonte in 1959's Odds Against Tomorrow, which and also landed the only speaking role for an African-American actor in Leave it to Beaver, as well as having a run on the soap opera Days of Our Lives. And since I'm a hardcore Trekkie who populates this podcast with at least a third of Trekkie guests, I would be remiss if I didn't note her guest role in the Star Trek The Next Generation episode Final Mission. Although I'm going to say I don't remember who she was in that one, but (laughs) it's been a while. So, uh, Misha, I'm going to mash a screen your way. And if you could Give us a reading, as I said, you know, any way you want to read it is is fine. So. Oh. Oh, it's on my whiteboard. OK, I had a weird hiccup on my computer before we started, so I guess that's the part it forgot. Uh-oh. Hold on, let me make it more readable for you. OK, there we go. OK, so I'm reading this. You are reading this, this, that. Okay. <laughs> and I just start. Yeah, go for it. In this corner of the universe, a prize fighter named Bowley Jackson, 183 pounds, is an hour and a half away from a comeback at St. Nick's Arena. Mr. Bowley Jackson, who by the standards of his profession is an aging over the hill relic of what was and who now sees a reflection of a man who has left too many pieces of his youth in too many stadiums for too many years before too many screaming people. Mr. Bowley Jackson, who might do well to look for some gentle magic in the hard surface glass that stares back at him. All righty. So, yeah, um, I guess I'll, I'll throw it out. Hold on. Let me get rid of that screen first so I can actually see you again. There we go. Okay. So I, I guess, is this one that you were particularly familiar with? I, you, you mentioned that you had been uh, watching the Twilight Zone growing up a lot. I did. We used to sneak and watch it we used to stay at her house during the summers me and my cousins and we would watch the twilight zone it felt like late at night but i don't remember how late it was i just know we weren't supposed to be awake i was just yeah. thinking uh, is that still in atlanta what where, that- was i in atlanta yeah yeah <laughs> yeah okay this is when i first moved to atlanta so this had to be circa 1985 okay yeah 85 because i was actually just thinking um i i got I'm in this for the long haul. So I just got the 80s set, right? For which I won't be doing for a few years. But I was watching a few and I was realizing I, I don't think I really saw the original Twilight Zone probably till the late 90s. Like growing really? up. Yeah, growing up, uh, I had the, I would see the 80s version, which is 
kind of trippier mm. it's it's not better by any means but it is trippier which is kind of fun sometimes but yeah. um yeah so watching I, I watched a few sets and uh, episodes in there and I was like oh yeah this, this actually was the twilight zone for me when I was a kid and I was th- wondering maybe it's because we didn't have cable <laughs> we didn't have cable I, I want to say it used to come on on TBS late at oh, okay. night ah okay I just missed it then yeah. oh well <laughs> We definitely didn't have cable. We were too poor for cable. So I know we didn't have cable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we, we didn't have that till like, I, I think my parents got cable when I like went off to college. So <laughs> yeah, but uh, yes, when you're not eating them out of house and home anymore, they use that money to go toward, you know, luxuries like cable. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm pretty sure it's the first time I, I saw this one. Um, I've mentioned on a few of these podcasts before for about 20 years, I had a stack of about a third of the series. So mm-hmm. I saw those episodes a fair amount uh, since, but there's another two thirds I haven't seen so much of this being one of them. But um, yeah, definitely like, you know, it's cracking in the I, I think it's some of the better like dialogue Serling had written in this first season. Mm-hmm. I thought it was excellent. I was not familiar with this episode, but I saw so many messages in it that resonated with me. And um, I thought it was, I, I was thinking like when, when it was written, did they mean to go this deep? Like I'm having like Jordan Peele moments where it's just like, whoa, whoa, like they're really going there. And I'm wondering if other people had that reaction when they were watching it, especially back then if they understand, if they understood the depth of messaging that was happening in the episode. Well, um, I, I was actually just listening to this podcast with a, a guest um, who, who had never seen the Twilight Zone before. And his first reaction was, they let people watch this in 1959 and 1960. Exactly. Because <laughs> I'm like, this is like really addressing some heavy topics in in a very, you know, artsy way, because it's not in your face, but it's kind of in your face. So I was like, they went there then? <laughs> yeah. In different ways, too. Uh, the episode we were watching is like, wow, they got all this crazy occult stuff in there. Whereas, you know, this is this is very different. Mm-hmm. I did some research. I like I can't bring myself to believe this was actually the first time that there's an African-American lead on television. Of course, in the mm-hmm. movies, we'd had stuff like Stormy Weather. But in the TV, I'm like, is this the first I'm still not sure if it's the first, but I couldn't find anything earlier. So what year was this? Uh, it was filmed the 59 or 60. Sorry, I don't have the okay. exact date in front of me. But uh, also, we're keeping in mind that's TV. Like when I was doing the trivia, it's yeah. like, oh, there's there was only one speaking role in all of Leave It to Beaver. I'm like, I'm even when I'm like, well, well at least there was one, you know, because Leave right. It to Beaver is like not really something you would think of as being particularly progressive. So not at all. <laughs> Not at all. I watched. I grew up watching *Leave It to Beaver* too. Yeah. So if any if anybody does know an earlier lead, you know, do do let me know. But I, I spent about thirty minutes really, like, you know, doing the the internet research to see if I could track mm-hmm. down something. I, I really could not. This might be a first for a for a mm. lead. So, mm. um, uh, again, the actor is great. Um, what was it? Ivan Dixon. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. he's he's got the he's got the school named or or the acting troupe named after him now. The um, in fact, the only flaw I would give is uh, they did not do a very good makeup job on him. <laughs> no, they did not. The scars were kind of <laughs> suspect. Yeah. Uh, I, now, I watch these episodes maybe like two or three times. Um, I didn't really notice that till maybe the second or third time. So I'll at least give it that. But by by 
the time I was giving a third watch, I was like, I don't know about that makeup there. Yeah. 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 I agree. Uh, I I have a message in mind for this, uh, but you want to throw out one of the ones uh, that you saw? There was so much. um, One of the things, well, first of all, I saw magic as being synonymous with hope in that era. Like when they referenced magic and, and the, the young boy's belief in magic and Bully Jackson's disbelief in magic, I saw hope. And Bully had been beaten down figuratively and literally. I could only imagine in that time period, he was beaten down by everything that the world was throwing at him, but his his profession was literally getting his behind whooped. So he had lost his fight and had lost his belief in hope in magic. But the young boy, he still had that belief in magic. Um, And I think that for so many Black people, all we've had is hope. That's all we've had is is hope for tomorrow, hope for something better, hope that that things will change. And I saw that in the young man, but definitely saw that that Foley had probably literally and figuratively had the hope and the magic beaten out of him. Yeah. And, and, you know, it happens over so much time. And actually, one thing uh, I wanted to bring up a, a bit of our our school history together, because I didn't catch on to this until much later when people brought it up. Uh, and I'm just going to say 10th grade world history and see if you can take that ball further. <laughs> Are you do you mean when we were not allowed to go through the part of our history books that dealt with slavery and I asked about it and I was shut down by our teacher? That's that's exactly what I was bringing up because I didn't hear about that till several years later. And the thing is, I didn't really notice that at the time. You know, when I got to university, I I did have a history minor and I'd go out of my way like, oh, I don't know South African history. I don't know modern Egyptian history. I took, you know, Japanese history. I live in Japan now, so I guess it's good I took that. But I was like, I need to take the histories that nobody bothered to teach me. (laughs) And it was and it was willfully like that we weren't taught. It wasn't that it wasn't some of that wasn't in our history books. It was there. But there I mean, there's levels of whitewashing that happens like there's whitewashing that happens because our history books are inaccurate. Our history books leave information out. But also what we're seeing even now with with not being able to teach about race in schools. That is a level of whitewashing of history that is blatant and in your face, and it's harmful and it's hurtful, um, but it happens on so many different levels, and we experienced it in in high school. I I remember going up to our teacher and saying, why did we skip over the chapters on slavery? And he literally said, because I don't want people to feel bad. And he's like, I don't want people to feel bad about themselves, and I don't want people to feel bad about other people. And that was his response to me in a gifted program that was at the number one high school in the state of Georgia. That really happened. Yeah, I know that that blew my mind because I when did I I think I was in university when I heard about this. So now I'm like, you know, feeling like a bit of an artist because I was sitting in the classroom, not quite noticing this at the time. But, that you know, you're what, 16, you're in school. So, <laughs> you know, these these the point is yeah. it's it's all happening in the same room and it's like completely different perspectives right yeah yeah and different experiences like um you know because because history has been so whitewashed and because history has been skewed toward stories and narratives that support white dominant culture it's not it's not something that that people even think about it's just the norm 
it's normal for, for history to not include the voices and the stories of people that are not a part of white dominant culture. It's, it's become the norm and we just kind of dismiss it and gloss over it. Yeah. So, and, and yeah, again, we were in a, a good school in things, uh, all things considering. So, um, yeah, I mean, most of, most of my friends went to a much crappier school, so I could, <laughs> could see that Same. little bit of, uh, you know, contrast there. Um, but yeah, you're, you're talking about the hope thing. I guess, you know, the kid is like hope personified, like, mm-hmm. you know, they're pushing the button really hard, but, uh, as one of my other podcasting co-host says sometimes you need to push the button pretty hard and this is the first time that i think this is pretty much the first time that button had been pushed on national television you know yeah yeah um you, you mentioned peel uh and you know his twilight zone uh, one is uh, the the replay episode I, I haven't seen all of his but have you seen that one mm-hmm. okay I haven't. that one was i thought really effective i feel like that's kind of the spiritual successor to this one whereas um oh god is it is it holly berry in that one it's, it's it's someone notable but anyway it's it's a woman taking her her kid to um university okay and they're, and they're having uh they're having lunch at the diner and then she's gonna drive them and drop them off and they run across like you know this like racist cop basically and uh mm. who stops him and the kid ends up getting shot but in the meanwhile, she's got this old camcorder with a rewind button. So she hits the rewind button like reality goes back. Mm. So she, she can take it back to that diner and they keep trying to leave town and just take the kid to school. And, you know, every time in different ways, this, this cop like basically, you know, uh, murders wow. the kid. So wow. eventually make it. But the end, they, they finally. So sorry, spoilers for everyone. But I think it, it, it's pretty relevant with this episode. They mm-hmm. find the one way to get him there, you know, some crazy mm-hmm. scheme to get him to school. And the, the cop shows up and basically everyone is, comes to the school gate and is like, go away. And so mm. it's like 10 years later, he's got a daughter now and um, he's with his mom and the daughter is like, oh, I'm going to go get some ice cream for everyone. Walks out the door and then you just hear police sirens and the uh, episode ends. And I was like, oh, whoa, that, that's effective. I mean, it didn't even say anything happened. It's just you understand yeah. the mom is hears that and it's like, oh, God, you know? Yeah, yeah like the sort Mm. of the final destination so um so you know that's i guess pushing the button a little hard today but one it's a really good episode and two it uh, you know like i've heard about those feelings but the episode like creates those feelings as you're watching it and that's really important absolutely there there is another thing that that um bully said when he was looking in the mirror and he was talking about um he said that our stories are cut into our flesh. He was referring to his boxing wounds. And he was basically saying, like, you can tell how many fights somebody's been in by looking at their flesh. But he said, when he said our stories are cut into our flesh, I recently read a book called What Happened to You. And in What Happened to You, it's by Oprah Winfrey and Dr. Bruce Perry, who's a psychotherapist and a neurologist. And one of the things he says is that is that um, trauma is trapped in our DNA. Like it literally lives on. Like he he referenced how during the slave trade, black folks were tossed off of ships into the ocean. He referenced how black folks had dogs sicked on them during the civil rights era. And people oftentimes talk about, you know, 70% of black people can't swim. I don't know if you know that. 70% of black people can't swim. 
And he talked about an, um, an unnatural fear of, of swimming that black people have. And he said, it's not unnatural. It's trauma that goes back directly back to the slave trade, the transatlantic, transatlantic slave trade. And then when you look at the fear that black folks have of dogs sometimes, it's literally trauma trapped in our DNA from having dogs sicked on us and being attacked and mauled by dogs we're trying to escape from a plantation or from merely marching peacefully for civil rights in your Easter best. And we are still attacked and we're still vilified and we're still treated like animals. So when I saw what Bowley said about our stories are cut into our flesh, that hit me deeply because I realized that all of us have stories. All of us carry our stories with us and we carry our ancestors' stories with us. And that lives on in our bodies. It lives on in our DNA. So I went there with it when he said our stories are cut into our flesh. And then I even thought about the image of slaves beaten and, and with gashes across their backs. And I thought about that too and thought about the stories, what stories live in those wounds. And for black folks that you see walking around every day, you may see us in corporate America, you may see us successful, you may see an Oprah Winfrey, but what trauma lives in her flesh? Because it still lives there. Yeah, I mean, you can go pre-DNA even. I mean, this is what Carl Jung was going on about the uh, collective unconscious, you know? Mm -hmm. And and that's, I mean, you know, like Eastern religion, the Buddhism, Hinduism, they they all have, you know, it's like karma, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's a real thing, you know? Um, I mentioned before, it's like in the in the movie where it's like, I'll do what I want or I'll, I'll shoot this person. It'll be your fault. It's like, no, it'll still be your fault. You're the one doing it. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's sort of the, the thing here. And um, I'm, I'm going to butcher this story. Um, I, I should have, like, found it beforehand. <laughs> and uh, no, no, I'm just saying in Japan, it's one of those things where, like, everyone knows it. So I was like, oh, it's mm. maybe they know it in the States, but it's, um, it's basically like a, a Chinese farmer and uh he finds no his horse runs away and everyone's like oh that's bad you must feel terrible and he's like well that's that's what happened and then his his son finds another horse it's like even better and oh that must be great you must be so happy it's like no it's just it's it's the thing that happened mm-hmm. next day you know the son's trying to to break the new horse and uh breaks his leg so he can't farm and stuff oh my god that's a disaster he's like you know the keeping a zen just like that would happen that's what happens the next day, the army comes. They're they're just you know uh, press ganging people. So if his son didn't have a broken arm, he would have been drafted into the army that day. But he doesn't have to go to this war because he had broken his arm. So the the whole point being, you know, events aren't necessarily good or bad. They're just like, I mean, well, to a certain extent, these fate isn't necessarily good or bad. As people, yeah. we can of course make some terrible choices. But if we're just looking at the events that surround us, you know, yeah, yeah. That, that what seems great today could be like a disaster tomorrow is the main point. Absolutely. I, I agree 100 percent, 100 percent. But I, I kind of found that in here because what should happen, you know, Bowley should should overcome and be the champion. But that wasn't good. What he needed to do was lose that bout <laughs> that made mm-hmm. his life better. <laughs> exactly. I, I thought it was just such a profound episode. I still can't believe that it was filmed in 59 or 60. I feel like that was, I feel like, did they get in trouble for that? Like, I, now I need to do research. Like, I want to find out if there was backlash around the episode because I felt like they really, even the imagery, like when I saw him at the fight, the fact that that 
during the fight, they showed components of white people in the audience. They showed hands. They showed us a, 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 a mouth, but they didn't really show whole people. And I felt like as much as Black people are dehumanized and relegated to just components, body parts, a talent, a, a service, I felt like in that the imagery almost was was doing the same thing to white people. I was like, I'm not seeing whole images of folks in the audience. I'm seeing like flashes of hands and they're like clasped together. Like they look evil and wicked. And I was like, are they doing this on purpose? And do white people know that they're doing this right now? <laughs> well, yeah, it's like, like get talked about right now. <laughs> I mean, in the thirties and forties, there were, there were actors winning Academy Awards that couldn't attend the ceremony because yeah. it was white only. Um, you'll, you'll hear about a whole lot of jazz musicians, you know, Coltrane, Miles Davis had stories where uh, Louis Armstrong had these stories where they, you know, basically be taken in through the kitchen door, pushed onto yeah. the stage, play their set and get shoved and back out to the kitchen. So all they would see from their experience would be just those little flashes of hands and stuff. Um, yeah. I'm not, I'm not even sure if that's what they were going for, but just since you brought it up, I'm yeah. like, yeah, that kind of made me, made me think of the uh, get them in, get them out, but don't yeah. let them interact. Yeah, that was interesting to me. And I also found it like one of the things I thought about during the episode, too, was that, you know, when they said he was a celebrated prize fighter, I thought about how in that era and even now, um, black folks are revered for their service. You know, if we're talented if we're playing basketball, if we are, you know, a prize fighter, if we're singing, whatever it is, we're revered for those things. But but his basic humanity, the fact that he was getting older, the fact that he wasn't as fast as he used to be, the fact that, you know, whatever other challenges he was facing, he wasn't being revered and honored and celebrated and loved because of just his basic humanity. He had he was being revered in relation to being something. And I find that that's, I'm sorry, there's a mosquito in my house coming after me. But um, I find that that's the case with a lot of Black folks. Like when I looked at what happened with Will Smith the other day, which is a very controversial topic, I know. Um, but what I saw is, that's my cousin trying to get the mosquito out of the, out of the zone for me. <laughs> Thank yes. you, cousin. Thank you, cousin. But what I saw, when I saw that, that, uh, you know, America's sweetheart, Will Smith, who has had a life of entertaining and being, you know, one of the sweetest, kindest, most um, safe black folks out there, if you will, because they're safe black folks. Um, and there are folks that people don't think are safe. I have always been a person that people consider a safe black person. Um, and I'll get back to Will Smith, but I have to share a story from our, our high school very quickly. I once had a friend of ours who I had, we'd gone to school with since fourth grade. And we were walking out of a pep rally one day and she goes, um, this is like our senior year. And she goes, um, grab my hand, like, like walk with me, I'm scared. And I was like, what are you scared for? I said, we're leaving the pep rally and we're going home. And she goes, all these black people are here. My friend was white. And I said, I was like, such and such, I'm black. And she looked me right in my face and she said, you are not black. You are smart, pretty and well-spoken girl. You are not black. No, I got the same thing from, from one of my, um, one of, one of my music friends. He, he's a, mm -hmm. he's a globe trotter now. He'll, he'll live in Lisbon for a while, come back home, mm -hmm. whatever. But yeah, he's complained like, you know, 
people will sometimes say to him, like, you're the whitest black person I know. He's like, I don't want to hear that. Don't tell me that. <laughs> no. Yeah. But there's like these say there's this idea of the safe black person. And I feel like I saw that with Will Smith. As long as you're in service to, and as long as you're entertaining, as long as you're not causing any problems, you're good. But the moment you do, you become the scary, vilified, angry black person. And and you know, what I saw on that stage with Will Smith was trauma. What I saw was was a, a black man trying to protect his his woman, um, whether she wanted to be protected or not. And the other thing that I saw that was a good point that a group of friends and I talked about was the fact that black men have not been given the space to protect their women. Black men have not been given the authority to protect their women. It's not a given for us to be protected. It is, it, if you go back to slavery, you try to protect your woman, you're getting killed. You have to watch your woman get raped. You have to watch your woman, your kids get sold down the river. You have to watch that and you can't do anything. You have to listen as masters raping your wife next door. And, and we've never been allowed to have be protected by our men. Protecting us could be a death sentence for you. Um, and then, you know, to know that that black men haven't been given that space that really struck me when a when a man said that to me, a black man said that to me, and it made so much sense. Um, whereas white people have burned down whole entire black cities of excellence over a, a white person, a black person looking at a woman, a white woman the wrong way. So I think that there are so many layers and levels to so many of these conversations that people aren't willing to or or don't even think about. They're not aware of. Um, and a lot of them, again, if we go back to the trauma that's embedded in our DNA, we could start unpacking it. But people don't want to do that work. People don't want to have that acknowledgement. People don't want to have those conversations. They'd rather vilify somebody and, you know, cast them out. And I forgot, cancel them out, cancel culture. That They'd rather do that than have these types of open dialogues about what we see and what we feel. Yeah, I mean. Like, and also it's like, nobody knows what was in his head or what kind of day he'd had. I mean, you know, most of us yeah. tend to kind of like get a little flipped out. The other thing is, um, I, I, Chris Rock basically was, I, he didn't escalate, which I think was extremely uh, important because if he had gotten into an actual fight on stage, that would, you know, he basically played it off as a joke as much he could, as he could, because, well, he's yeah. a comedian, right? So I, I yeah. you know, yeah. If, if anything, the joke, I'm just going to give his joke to sin if it wasn't funny. But <laughs> And it wasn't scripted. He went off script. Okay. You know, it okay. wasn't scripted. Yeah. I, I, um, Will Packer, who produced the, the Oscars, the first African-American male person to ever um, produce the Oscars with an all-Black team, he confirmed that, um, that it had not, um, that, that was not scripted. He went off script. That joke was not a part of what he was given to read. And it resulted in complete disaster. But I always believe everything happens for a reason. And I, I know that Will Smith, like all of us, is on a journey. And I also know that everything happens for a reason. And I'm hoping that that there will be more dialogue specifically about Black men's mental health as a, as a result of what we saw. Um, I saw pain and I saw trauma. And a lot of people that I know that are trained trauma therapists, they saw the same thing. Um, so I'm hoping that this will open the dialogue for there to be really honest conversations about Black men's mental health, because 
if anybody has to bottle up their feelings and emotions, um, most, a lot of people do, but black men, they have not been given the space to, to deal with mental health, to deal with emotions for so many reasons. And I hope that this opens up a dialogue where we will stop making memes and being making fun of people like Kanye and Will Smith and, and Tyrese a few years ago, who also had a mental breakdown on live television or live social media. I hope that this opens up that dialogue and gives black men the grace and the space that they need to heal. And yeah, I guess this episode really is hitting on those vibes way before yeah. people would have really considered it at all. So that's pretty amazing. I, I guess that's where some stories are just absolutely timeless. You know, it resonates yeah. today just because it's well made, well yeah. thought out. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think I think they were touching on all of these things. Maybe maybe I'm going a little bit too deep, but um, for him to say something as profound as you know, our stories are cut into our flesh. I mean, to me, that's, you're dealing with mental health, you're dealing with trauma, you're dealing with generational pain. Um, that's what you're speaking to. You're not just speaking about being a prize fighter, you're talking about your lived experience as a black man that you figuratively and literally have those, are your stories cut into your flesh. Yeah, you know, Bowley seems like a good guy, but not a balanced guy i mean he's he's a prize fighter he should probably know not to punch a brick wall <laughs> yeah yeah so. <laughs> that part <laughs> but then again that that's that's the slap something dumb just happens even when you know you're not doing maybe the thing you should be doing at that moment but he damages yeah. himself he has to get out of prize fighting basically because of that and he may yeah. you know tomorrow may actually be a whole lot brighter for him uh there's a yeah. earlier episode the season mr denton on doomsday who's a uh drunk washed up gunfighter who you know gets his skills back and uh him and, and the young buck end up shooting each other's guns out of their hands and breaking each other's hands so they can no longer shoot a gun but you know mm. that's that was that that was a gift for them right yeah yeah <laughs> I, I mean you know i I'd, I'd feel terrible because i want to play the guitar but <laughs> you know for the for the gunfighter when you have everyone coming after you that that broken hand can be a godsend. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, one more really, really, uh, sorry, you were mentioning all the hands, since we're on hands now, um, you mm -hmm. mentioned all the hand shots when they're doing the still images. And mm -hmm. I, I, I just noticed, I wrote a, the note here that at some point that lady made the conscious decision to wear fishnet gloves to a boxing match. <laughs> mm. Hey, but I'm all about fashion, so. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, that's a weird choice for boxing. <laughs> that is a weird choice for boxing. But you know what? Back in the day, people dressed up for everything. They dressed up to get on a train. They dressed up to go to a boxing match. They dressed up to go to the movies. Um, so maybe that was just a part of the era. I, hey, love, I wish we I'm, could get back to that. I'm dressed up for my podcast. <laughs> you look, hey, you look very cute. <laughs> I'm also going to work after this. That's why. But, uh, but, Actually, that is a thing in Japan. Um, it, you know, I know if you go to Disney World in America, it's all, you know, T-shirts and, and fat people, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but people do actually like dress like pretty, still dress, dress pretty nice if you're going to go to like Disneyland and Tokyo Disney, right? You know, they're wearing like... I wish we did that here. I want, I want to get back to that. Let's bring it back, Matt. Yeah. Let's bring it back. I, well, I moved to where they still do it. <laughs> now, well, the... I'll, I'll, I'll have to catch up with you then. Yeah. Um, after the um, Tohoku quake, the 2011 Fukushima thing, um, they finally started slacking up on this. But uh, before that, I spent 
oh, six, seven, about seven years in Japan where they wanted everyone to go around wearing full suits in the middle of summer, which is Tokyo. I, I never live in Tokyo, but uh, yeah, Japanese summer is pretty much as bad as Atlanta summer, but more humid. <laughs> mm. so, walking around in a wool suit in July, that, oh, that was torture. So I can't imagine. I cannot imagine. Um, like I mentioned, I got a few questions that I like to ask. Uh, each ep- each episode. Ask my guests during each episode. Uh, the first one, who in this episode actually went into or through the Twilight Zone? Who actually went into the Twilight Zone? I guess it was Bowley. Yeah, I get that. Now, now that that seems a little obvious to me, but then I start thinking about the yeah. kid because the kid has the the magic. The kid mm-hmm. has the hope, but is he like? from the twilight zone <laughs> oh you you know what because his mother referenced the fact that like she was short on the rent mentioned she was 15 dollars short and and bully i mean the um what was the young man's name i don't remember the little boy's name uh, i want to say steve it's uh, hold on it's, uh, if i scroll down steve. i'll get it uh, but she mentioned that Steven. that he and she ended up getting that exact amount of money that she needed from a former employer um after you know she had mentioned it to her son so maybe he i think he was magical and maybe he was from the twilight zone yeah yeah so i i found that's a distinction sometimes is this character actually part of the zone or are they taking a trip so i Hmm. guess moms maybe moms in a little bit too um she's having completely different things happening we're focusing on the boxer and in this prize fight but um it seems that she's experiencing you know sort of similar things Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Uh, the second question I've had, and, and I've found this actually hits different people different ways, so take it however you want. Do they deserve their trip through the Twilight Zone? I think I think Bully deserved the trip. I think he deserved, like, I saw the the joy he experienced of from winning the fight. Um, and then coming back to reality. Uh, maybe it was a way for him to regain hope in himself again and hope for, you know, people in general. Um, life can really beat you down. And maybe him going into the Twilight Zone and having that experience was a part of finding ways to restore hope for him again in himself without magic. Yeah, because it seems to grow, he actually needed to lose the fight. If he had won the fight, yeah. he'd be stuck in a exactly the same situation tomorrow having the exact same existential crisis next week so (laughs) exactly so in this case deserve a you know it was a growing experience we do find often with these episodes that when they paint the person as a rank bastard at the beginning you know it's like something horrible happens to them where whereas this guy seems solid so the, the real sad episodes is when you see a solid person get get shafted. Yeah. Uh, I, I this you know this is time enough podcast named after time enough at last. There's a guy. This guy doesn't deserve any of this. It's so horrible. <laughs> but that, that's the guy yeah. who you know is the left alone with all the books and his glasses break right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So yeah, that that's a guy. Oh, he doesn't deserve it. But here it's like, well, his life's probably going to get better from here, as as opposed to worse. So. I definitely see that. And um, and I, that was my hope for him at the end of the episode is that, you know, he he comes to appreciate and value his journey and where he is on it um, and to recognize that, you know, you can always have hope um, no matter what the circumstance. There's always hope. 
Right. Um, my third one is kind of a, a, a weird one. Um, I don't rank these by quality, but rather by trippiness, because we were like, oh, the Twilight Zone, that's trippy. So it could be a great episode, not that trippy, very trippy or a bad episode, right? Uh, but on a scale of zero to five, five being super trippy, zero being not trippy at all, where would you place this episode? The thing that's trippy about this episode to me is when the episode took place. Like to me, it's extremely trippy that they were dealing with what I saw as these very, very deep issues around race and trauma and the trauma that lives in our bodies and the trauma that that black people, black and brown people are experiencing. So to me, that was trippy. Like on, on a scale of one to five, I was like, whoa, that's a five. That's the kind of episode that could get somebody killed. Like, so <laughs> that's that was my thought. And that's why I said it was really trippy to me. Um, but to me, the episode itself wasn't weird or odd um, and trippy in that sense. It was trippy because of the, the time period when the episode aired and the subject matter. It was just really, it was really, you know, bold and in your face. And um, to me, it was. And, you know, I just kept thinking, like, do white people know this episode is happening? Do white people watch this? Are they mad? Like, <laughs> that was my thought the whole time. Again, I'll I'll credit past guest uh, Juan Ayala, who reaction was, they let people watch this in 1960? Right, <laughs> so, right. I have found for me, when I'm doing these rankings, um, so this is my, my, I guess, my personal trip rating bias, is that I think I gravitate towards how I relate, or what I think of the um, special effect of the episode. I, I'm finding more and more a lot of these episodes tend to have like one or two you know, like just effect shots. And I tend to be thinking about these when I give, give the rankings a lot of time. So for me, it's the, um, the still frames when reality mm. is being changed. Um, I, I love the effect. It makes me think of a movie called uh, La Jetée, which is um, like this French film that's all still images. It's, mm -hmm. it's actually what they uh, made the movie 12 Monkeys from. It's like mm, the original, okay. but really great. But it's all freeze frames. And uh, mm -hmm. made me think of that, that vibe a little bit. That movie is very trippy. Um, okay. Being sports-based, uh, my, my ending number is, is a three. <laughs> okay. Again, this isn't quality. I think the episode is fantastic. But I'm like, yeah, for me, it's kind of um, so, somewhere in the middle, um, a, a little trippier because of that sequence. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, like I, I gave... The, the fever too high a trip rating because the, the gimmick in that was a walking talking uh, slot machine so <laughs> interesting <laughs> his voice has gargling coins as it talks which is I was like that's great so yeah that these, is kind of trippy these are right that's why I gave it a higher rating than my guest in that episode <laughs> but yeah I'm, I'm finding it's these little production touches that are the ones that really stick in my mind for this so <laughs> but um as we wrap it up, Amisha, definitely thanks for coming because, I mean, you had, what, like 37 points that I simply wasn't going to think of in there, <laughs> you know, really <laughs> deep in this episode, right? Like, like I said, if it's if it's two middle-aged white guys talking about this, we're not going to scratch the surface properly. Yeah. You know, so. Well, call on your tribe of people and 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 get these other voices and perspectives and um, onto the show and and um, it just adds a richness to the conversation and these different perspectives that people don't don't typically think about and I think that's that's why it's so important for us to have genuine relationships and connections with people that are different from us like 
it's it's really critical for our own growth and understanding. And, you know, ultimately what I find is that we realize that, you know, we're all having very similar experiences of life. You know, if you're if you're a human, you're going to experience happiness, you're going to experience joy, you're going to experience death, you're going to experience sadness, you're going to lose a job, you're going to there's so many different things that we have that are shared experiences. And if we come together and and talk more about those shared experiences, we create a space where we can feel safe sharing our lives and our different perspectives without judgment and so that we can actually learn. Um, So I'm always willing to take part and have these conversations and continue the conversation even after the podcast, because now we have to hang out on Zoom and have like happy hours. So (laughs) be prepared for that. So you can't get rid of me now. Right on. No, I, I've got some time. I, I can't have a happy hour, though, because I go to work after this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have teach- my wine waiting right here for me. <laughs> OK, I'll, I'll, I'll catch I'll catch up in 12 hours. I can't drink wine. It's like it's weird. Um, in, in Japan, we have like too high. Right. It's a uh, it's basically like I, I guess like um like tonic water with some fr- fruit taste and vodka or okay. something. It's the only thing I drink now. I can't beer headache. Wine headache. Any any alcohol drinks headache, except for this one thing, which I, I maybe I like too much. I don't know. But <laughs> well, you have that, and I'll have my cocktail, and we'll continue these conversations. I yeah. promise. We have to. It's important. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, you know, with the pandemic, again, good thing, bad thing. The, the pandemic, I haven't left my valley for two years now, is it? Yeah. Haven't wow. been outside of my valley. It's a real nice valley. I mean, it's a resort area, basically. So, you know, if you're going to be stuck somewhere, it's a good place to to be stuck but you know yeah the zoom window is open so widely in the past two years so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know you just talk to anybody and everybody so yeah well i look um, forward to it and uh one, one more time while, while we are still recording i mentioned you you got your um fellowship coming up hopefully by the end of the year again just to d- yeah, does that so have a name yet it does so the name of the of the movement that i'm working on is called we dance in the rain um, and it's all about how we all go through challenges in life. We all go through um, pain. We all go through hardship. We're all walking around with traumas, but we can choose to dance in the rain. And I was kind of inspired to, to give it that name because when, when I was able to get the protesters and the National Guard to come together um, in unity to dance at the, in the, you know, the peak of the protest, it had literally just stopped raining. And we were literally and figuratively dancing together in the rain, in the midst of rage, in the midst of pain, in the midst of trauma, in the midst of physical rain, we chose to dance together. And it was yellow, black, white, brown, transsexual. We had somebody that had just signed our healing board that said, um, witches against racism. So it was just beautiful collection of people. Um, And my movement is really geared toward that. It's about connecting to people at the core of who they are. And it's about um, holding space for people to be able to dance in the rain together because there's so much power and there's so much strength in unity and there's so much power and strength in joy. Joy to me is the ultimate act of defiance against everything in the world that is nasty, negative and dark. Um, It's the ultimate act of defiance. So we dance in the rain is about that. And I'm really excited to launch it in the coming months. And I will be sure to, to share information with, with folks. By all means, sounds very groovy. <laughs> As for <laughs> this one, it is Time Enough Podcast. Uh, it's Time Enough Pod on Twitter, Facebook, all of that sort of stuff. 
We are under the podcasting umbrella on Patreon of Podcastio Podcastius, where myself and my friends do other podcasts. I talk about sci-fi films and Matt and Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary, whatever I feel like in oral hygiene. And you'll find some some nice, right, gamer geek podcasts that I'm not on about Pokemon Monster Hunter and the, the new game game show, which is a game show about games. It's kind of confusing when you say it out loud, but yeah. <laughs> uh, again, thank you for joining in to this one today, Amisha. It's, it's been a blast. Thank you. Thank you for thinking of me. It's been a pleasure. And you you put me on to some new uh, Twilight Zone stuff that I had not even, I don't even remember watching as a kid. So now, now my interest has peaked and now I'm going to have to start watching episodes again. So thank you for that. No, this podcast started in part because I got I just I got the Blu-ray set and I was like, I need to watch all of these. How am I going to make sure I'm going to watch all of these? And here we are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, thank you. And good luck with everything that you're doing and, and continuing to, to share these interesting stories and these perspectives. And um, I wish you nothing but but all the success in the world and send you lots of positive energy as you do it. All right. <laughs> Likewise, of course. <laughs> I'd love to live within the home Whose windows see no pain I'd love to live within the home Whose windows see no pain Inside's a circus Composed of rings With rabbits that roar And lions that sing Creatures crawl and jump Chairs slide and bump Common chaos Claim the air I'd love to live within the home Where windows see no pain I'd love to live within the home Where windows see no pain Emotions flow Arise and let go But the ledges know I'd love to live within the home Whose windows see no pain I'd love to live within the home Whose windows see no pain